Welcome to Friendly Words, the sermon podcast of Pratt Friends Church in Pratt, Kansas. The message you're about to hear, the second sermon in a three-part series, was originally preached at Pratt Friends Church on Sunday, July 3rd, 2022. It focuses on Paul's and John's words concerning false teachers and prophets. The message to all who will listen is, pay attention to what you're being taught so you won't be led astray. Now, here is Pastor Mike Neifert. Let's go to God's Word and allow Him to gain glory as we hear, but more than that, as we go out and do what He's given us. So let's pray, and then we'll get started on God's Word. Father, thank you that you're here and that you want us to know you. You want us to know you and your truth, and you want us to be able to obey you and follow you, and you've done everything that's necessary for that to be possible for us. We confess completely that we are unable to follow you unless your spirit helps us. God, we will do the wrong thing all the time unless you help. And we're grateful for your help through your spirit and that you've given us new life. And I pray, God, today that in our new life, we would hear your word and put it into practice. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. True or false? Well, last week we started with an animal-themed quiz. Do you remember how many sets of eyelashes a camel has? Three. Very good. And which way do bats turn when leaving their cave, left or right? Left. Very good. And I'm sure you remember the snail's three year-long naps. Ooh, that sounds so great, doesn't it? Well, this morning, in keeping with the true or false theme, we're going to play a game. It's called Two Truths and a Lie. Anybody ever heard of that game? Okay, Two Truths and a Lie. Now, generally speaking, it is not advisable or permissible for anyone to lie while standing in the pulpit. But in the spirit of this icebreaker game... And the fun of that, I'm going to let it slide one time, and I'm telling you ahead of time, I'm going to tell you a lie. You're going to have to figure out which one it is, okay? If you're not familiar with the game, this is how it's played. I will read three statements about myself. Two of them are true. The other is false. Anyone who is related to me cannot answer these questions. When I've read all three of them, you're going to guess, and we'll do a little poll with hands and stuff. Don't raise your hands until we get done. When I've read all three, you're going to guess which one is the lie. And just like last week, there are no prizes, so it doesn't matter that much. Don't get worked up about it. All right, here we go. Listen to all three statements, and you're going to decide in your head which one you think is the whopper that I'm telling. And I'll read the list a second time if necessary. Here we go. In 1991, during a layover in Paris on the way to visit my in-laws in Africa, I climbed to the top of the Eiffel Tower. That's statement number one. Statement number two, in elementary school, my playground superhero persona was Lightning Boy. And statement three, during middle school, I chickened out at the end of the line for the world's largest wooden roller coaster. If you've been paying attention for the last year or so, you might know the answer. Well, I'm going to repeat them. Just a second. Form your opinions now. Which of these statements is not true? Did I climb the Eiffel Tower when I was there on the way to Africa? Was I lightning boy or not? 
And did I not take the coward's exit before boarding the world's largest roller coaster? Here we go. This is how we're going to do it. If you think that the statement is a lie, you're going to raise your hand. Got it? Everybody outside, out there in online world, you can play too. Here we go. First statement, if you think this is the lie, raise your hand. In 1991, during a layover in Paris on the way to visit my in-laws in Africa, I climbed to the top of the Eiffel Tower. Okay, good portion of you. All right, number two. In elementary school, my playground superhero persona was Lightning Boy. Okay, not very many hands on that one. And during middle school, I chickened out at the end of the line for the world's largest wooden roller coaster. Okay, all of you who raised your hand on the first one, that is the lie. We did lay over in Paris, and we did get to go into town, and we did see the Eiffel Tower, but we were too cheap to pay the $30 fee to go up. Looking back, I think, why in the world did we not do that, you know? But there we go. Well, I fooled a few of you, not very many of you. Yet, like I said, if you've been paying attention over the last year or so, you know that I was Lightning Boy, remember? Yeah, you remember that? And maybe you remember that I chickened out at the end of the line for the Colossus roller coaster at Magic Mountain. See, I'm just making sure that you guys are paying attention. Now, all of this stuff, of course, is fairly trivial, and I apologize for lying to you. Anyway, none of that matters too much. If you didn't figure out which was the lie and which wasn't, no big deal, right? But what about the lies that are put forward as biblical truth? Those are, as I said last week, much more consequential. The purveyors of such falsehoods are to be avoided, to be shunned in our thinking and our listening. We should be careful who we listen to. Last week, we heard Jesus' words of warning concerning false prophets and false teachers who were to come. We heard him foretell the arrival of those men or women who would be sheep in wolves' clothing looking to tear people apart. We heard him talk about leaders who would preach but wouldn't practice what they preach. We, t- we were told we could recognize good teachers by good fruit and bad teachers by bad fruit. We were warned that thieves and robbers were going to come and that they would try to kill and steal and destroy, not only in the church, but in the world. And we also learned from Jesus that in the last days, false messiahs would come, false prophets and teachers, that we were to steer clear from them and not go out to hear them. Today, we're going to begin to hear similar messages from a couple of leaders in the early church who wrote to their churches to keep them from straying from the truth in their thinking or wandering off after unscrupulous false teachers of their day. Their words, preserved by the church over the centuries, encourage us to be as watchful as the first century folks who loved Jesus and pursued truth and heard these words first. Maybe you didn't catch it, but I said the word begin in that last paragraph. I put it there on purpose because I thought we were going to be able to cover all of the teaching about false teachers in two sermons, but as I dug in this week, I found more and more and more stuff that I hadn't caught before uh, when I first started looking at this. And so I discovered a large body of teaching in one particular book, in the book of Second Peter, and we're going to do that next week. So today we're going to focus on Paul's writings and on one of John's letters to the church. We're going to hear from them. Before we read their words, though, let me remind you that you and I have an ally who helps us in discerning the truth, and that's 
the Holy Spirit. We're not going to read every word concerning the Holy Spirit that Jesus gave us, but we're going to read a few verses from John chapter 16 in a single paragraph about halfway through this chapter, starting around verse 12. Jesus says a lot about the one who is going to come. So let his words spoken to his disciples just before his crucifixion encourage you as we read them together. So take a look at John 16, 12 to 15, and hear what Jesus has to say to us. He's talking to his disciples, but they recorded it so we know it, and here's his word to us. I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the Spirit will receive from me what he will make known to you. So the Spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit, will guide you into the truth. He will speak to Jesus' followers, what God wants them to know. He will glorify Jesus and make known to the disciples what they need to receive, what they need to know, what they need to believe, what they need to teach. Thank God he does that for us. We are not on our own when it comes to sorting truth and error. We have a helper. He lives in us to guide us. Every time we're reading God's word or listening to teaching, we ought to ask him, True or false? Every time, including this time. Trusting in the Holy Spirit, the inspirer of the whole Bible, let's get started then with what God's Word says to us and what Paul and John, faithful followers of Jesus in the early church, what they said about false teachers. I think we'll gain some useful information from their writings to help us to deal with charlatans in our day who spout falsehood as if it's truth. We're going to start with a few verses from Paul's first letter to Timothy. Having taught Timothy much about serving God and about how to lead the church and what to teach the church, Paul in 1 Timothy 6, 3 through 12, calls out those who teach falsehood or who have ulterior motives for taking on the task of teaching. He then tells Timothy how to avoid the pitfalls that these false teachers have fallen into And so we're going to listen to what he says to him and see how much truth we can gain that we can apply in our own lives as we listen to the teachings of others. So we're starting at verse 3. 1 Timothy 6, 3 through 12 says this. If anyone teaches otherwise, other than what he's already taught, if anyone teaches otherwise and does not agree to the sound instruction of our Lord Jesus Christ and to godly teaching, they are conceited and understand nothing. They have an unhealthy interest in controversies and quarrels about words that result in envy, strife, malicious talk, evil suspicions, and constant friction between people of corrupt mind who have been robbed of the truth and who think that godliness is a means to financial gain. But godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. 
But you, man of God, speaking to Timothy, flee from all this and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. So what characterizes the lives and teachings of the unfaithful? They do not agree with sound instruction or with the sound instruction of Jesus. They are instead overly interested in controversial things and spend their time quibbling over words. You ever met somebody like that? Whew. Do you remember the serpent's first words to Eve and to Adam, the question that he asked when he came to them in the garden? Did God really say? That's the question. And it's the question that's often asked by the false teachers of our day. They use this question to preface bold departures from what God has indeed said in his written word. Their words contradict clear teachings and stir up those who wish to remain faithful to what God has revealed. How do false teachers respond when confronted? They calmly misrepresent those who teach God's word as it's been given, making their audience suspect the truth speakers are spouting falsehood instead. Isn't it sad, they say, that these Bible thumpers still hold to such completely outdated truths? These ideas might have worked in the first century, but we know better in the 21st. We see changes in understanding in the early church. We can expect that God will continue to bring about changes of understanding in our day. Here's how we need to interpret what the Bible says, or what Jesus said, or what Paul wrote in light of what we know now. We are so much smarter. Let the Spirit lead us into all the truth. This tactic works to move people from what the Bible really does say to what the teacher thinks people ought to believe. Who wants to be the weirdo who holds on to antiquated ideas? Not me. What this person suggests in their best-selling book or their popular podcast as a better understanding of what God wants helps people to feel more comfortable around their neighbors who think as this teacher thinks. It should be noted that what false teachers urge people to think has an uncanny way of matching up perfectly with what all the cool kids outside the church think. The words false teachers put forward puppet the cultural norms. Their motto might as well be, thus saith the world. There's more to learn here. Did you catch the phrase at the end of verse 5? Paul says false teachers think that godliness is a means to financial gain. There are a ton of folks out there who see preaching God's word as a means to gain great wealth. You've noticed them, haven't you? They're the ones wearing designer suits, preaching to others a message which suggests that God wants all his people to be rich. You heard that? How do you get rich according to these masters of manipulation? You can tell I'm kind of biased on this, can't you? You give your money to them and their ministry. And God will, they promise, give you a hundredfold what you've sown in faith. This is a despicable twisting of Scripture. God does commend generosity in the Bible. He does suggest he will provide for his people, and he does so so that we might be more generous. 
But this is not a promise. God's word does not promise us wealth unspeakable to use for our own wishes. God does not promise fancy cars and fancy planes and fancy houses and fancy wives and fancy whatever. He promises to provide for our needs. He urges giving to meet the needs of others as well. And the reward, he says, to look for is thanksgiving, which rises to God because of how we have served the church and served those in need. Can I tell you who gets wealthy and the God wants his children to all be wealthy churches? It's the person asking for the money. It's not the people who give more than they can afford in hopes of a huge return from God. It's the shysters who teach poppycock. Now, my favorite response ever to such nonsense was a friend's response. As I remember it, he got a letter from a false teacher who promised a tenfold return on investment if he would, in faith, give a generous sum right away. My friend wrote back, If this is true, then send me $1,000 in faith, and God will give you 10000 He never heard from them again. There you go. There's your strategy. False teachers stir up strife. They create suspicion toward the truth. They grab what money they can. Fair enough summary of what Paul said here. In contrast, and we're going to contrast that now, those who are true teachers are content. They keep their eyes on what matters most in this world. Their eyes are on Jesus, not on money. This isn't to say that they don't need money. They do. It's just that they don't love it, and they aren't trying to swindle others out of it, and they're not chasing after it in every single moment of their lives. They're simply serving God and using money to bless others and to take care of their needs. Jesus' words from Matthew 6.24 are important for us to remember He said, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Truth. Chasing after wealth is not God's way. Godly men, godly women go after other things. What do they go after? Paul said in 1 Timothy 6.11, he says, Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Those are the things that you're supposed to go after. These are things worth far more than any worldly goods that we might gain. They're the kinds of things that God rewards. We would all do well to go all in on obtaining these kind of characteristics, that we would pursue these things because they're what is rewarded eternally. You won't be rewarded eternally for how big your bank account was. All right, let's move on to 2 Timothy now. Paul has more to say in this letter about false teachers. It makes sense, doesn't it, that teaching about false teaching, that it would come up in a letter to a young pastor who's having to make sure that he's guiding his people correctly. Young preacher needs to know what to do when he encounters deceptive speech. And so in both of his letters to Timothy, Paul has words to speak to him concerning false teachers. 
In 2 Timothy, Paul, starting in chapter 3, verse 14, and reading on through chapter 4, verse 5, tells Timothy what he should preach, and then warns about a time coming when teachers will not teach what they ought to teach. Got that? I didn't lose you on that. Follow along as I read. We're starting in chapter 3, verse 14, and reading on past the chapter break to verse 5. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you learned it, and how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing in his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a large number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. But you keep your head in all situations, endure hardship, do the work of the evangelist, discharge all the duties of your ministry. If you want to know what God desires for you, where do you look? You look to the Bible. Why? Because it is God's spirit-inspired revelation of himself and his will and his ways. It is, as Paul writes in verse 16, useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that we can follow God. God's word is valuable to every Christian. When you read it on your own and seek to understand it with the Spirit's help, you'll grow in your faith. You ignore it at your own peril. Likewise, in the church, the main context of every preacher's message has to be God's word. Paul, in verse 2, says it plainly as he can. He says, preach the word. Preach the word. And then in verse 5, he adds that giving out the gospel is on the preacher's to-do list as well. Do the work of an evangelist. Make sure that the gospel is being shared with others. A true teacher is going to bring God's word to you every single time they stand up to teach. A true teacher is not going to offer opinions that aren't based on what the Bible says. The true teacher is going to stick with what God has given, what God has revealed to us. Do you hear me? Truth comes from God's word. Trust only those preachers who preach from God's word and preach in context. False teachers, by way of contrast, will say whatever comes to mind, whatever will grow their popularity, whatever will please most of the people most of the time, whatever will get them the most money. Verses 3 and 4 should cause us great concern as we take in the messages of so many in our day. Dozens of writers and speakers are promoting self-help above Scripture. They're all sunshine and roses. They bend to the culture's views rather than calling the society to account for straying from the truth. God's word goes against the prevailing thoughts of our time. It confronts sin boldly while the culture says wrongdoing is no biggie. Sin all you want. In fact, what you're doing isn't sin. 
It's what you were designed to do, to be. So do it with pride. Don't let anyone tell you to change. You're perfect just the way you are. These are the myths that Paul is talking about in verse 5. Don't listen to those who promote them. We are not perfect the way we are. Anybody uh, still believe that lie about yourself? We are not perfect the way we are. We are broken. We are dead in sin. We are fallen. We are in desperate need of a Savior. We are condemned and need a pardon. This is who we are in our natural selves. We should not be filled with pride at our sinful behavior. We should not be doing whatever we want to do because whatever we want to do, what we do naturally with little effort is sin. There's nothing easier than sinning. I can sin any day. Don't want to. Shouldn't. But it's pretty easy. The good news is we can be freed from the guilt of sin because of what Jesus did on the cross, and we can be freed from the power of sin over us by the Holy Spirit's presence in our lives, living in us and living out his life in us. We don't have to keep doing the destructive stuff, the stuff that's damning us to hell. We don't have to keep doing that stuff. We don't have to give in to the flesh, but we can follow the Spirit and walk by His guidance. So listen to the men and the women who teach God's Word, men and women who correct and rebuke and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. God's Word from the mouths of those who are gifted for preaching and teaching should both confront in areas of sin and embolden hearers to do the good that God saved them to do. Both are important. All right, to finish off our time together, let's read a bit from John's first letter to the church. This man was a member of Jesus' inner circle, the inner three, Peter, James, and John. He knew Jesus, and he knew a bit about false teachers as well. So let's hear him out. We're going to read 1 John chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. 1 John 4, 1 to 6 says this. Dear friends, and he's writing to the church, so that's us. Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. This is how you can recognize the spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming and even now is already in the world. You, dear children, are from God and have overcome them, because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. They are from the world and therefore speak from the viewpoint of the world. The world listens to them. We are from God, and whoever knows God listens to us, but whoever is not from God does not listen to us. This is how we recognize the spirit of truth and the spirit of falsehood. This passage is full of good news for you and me as we deal with false teachers. We are equipped because the Spirit of God lives in us to discern between true and false. We can, with God's help, test the spirits by which a person speaks. The Spirit will give us the wisdom that we need to avoid falling for deceptive lies. In John's day, there were a number of self-proclaimed prophets denying Jesus' humanity. There were others, of course, who denied his deity, but John isn't addressing that error here. 
Why does it matter if Jesus was a flesh and blood human, a man? Because he had to be a man in order to die for sin. He had to have blood in order to shed blood for our sin. If he was just a ghost or an apparition of some tot, he could not save. He could not be the sacrifice for our sin. Today, many false teachers are much more likely to emphasize Jesus' humanity to the exclusion of his deity, to suggest that he wasn't God, just a good teacher. They're more than willing to make him a mere man. They want to ignore Jesus' claims that he was God's son because if he's God's son, they have to pay attention to what he said. They don't want him to be the sacrifice for sin, but simply a moral teacher who shows us how to love people without judging, and that's as they define it. Friends, anyone who denies either Jesus' humanity or his deity has wandered down the path of error. Don't be deceived by such falsehood. Listen to the teaching of the prophets and Jesus and the apostles and ask the spirit of truth to lead you into the truth. What do we need to remember this morning? False teachers will cause you to doubt God's word. They'll teach what's popular rather than what's true. They will, on occasion, chase after financial gain. They'll twist God's word rather than preach the word. They'll give out their own opinions instead of focusing on what God's revealed, and they will deny Jesus humanity, or they'll ignore his deity. Those are the things that we see here. True teachers, whom you should pay attention to, will do the exact opposite of all these things. They will point you to God's word. They will preach from God's word in context, not just pulling verses here and there to make it sound like what they're saying is true. They will point you to God's word. They will preach from God's word in context. They'll be content with what God provides for them. They'll be generous, and they will shout the good news that God's son has come so that man doesn't have to die in sin. Let these things sink in. Consider them as you listen to teaching. Let God's word be so much a part of your life that you recognize falsehood as the Spirit speaks to you and warns you and guides you away from falsehood and into truth. That's the Spirit's job. So let's take just a few moments in silence to consider what God might have us do and ask him to make us more discerning. God's word says if you lack wisdom, ask for it and he'll give it generously without finding fault. So let's go to him and ask God to give us wisdom, help us to be discerning. I encourage you to pray and to talk with God as we take just a few moments in silence to allow for you to respond.
God, we thank you that you've given us your word so that we know who you are and how you act and we can discern truth from error with your Spirit's help. God, help us never to rely only on our own thoughts and our own logic, but always to ask the Spirit, always to ask you what's going on. To trust you and not our own hearts because our hearts are deceptive above all things. We need your help. So we pray now, God, that you would send us out to do your work and to be loving and caring in our community, both loving each other and loving those around us and loving even our enemies. God, help us to discern truth from error and to live and walk in truth as your spirit guides us. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you have been encouraged and challenged by today's sermon. If you want to hear each week's message, be sure to subscribe to Friendly Words in your podcast app. May God bless you as you follow Jesus in the power of the Holy Spirit.